if you feel like you don't deserve it or you can't get everything you want, or you can do a couple things. Like one is do your research, gather the data, talk to your advisors, get a sense of, and this happened all the time to me. I had a COO or I have a COO who had been uh, with Linkage for 20 years. He'd been through three different private equity sales and he was whispering in my ear all the time, you can ask for more. So, but here's what I've learned. If you don't make the ask, there's a pretty high likelihood that you aren't going to get any of what you want. (laughs) Welcome to the Women Choosing Growth Podcast, where we feature inspiring stories of success, challenges of growth, and lessons learned from women entrepreneurs, industry experts, and thought leaders who have been through the growing pains inevitable as an entrepreneur. Whether you are just getting started or are looking to scale up your business, our show is designed to provide you with the tools, resources, and community you need to grow your business. Join your host, Tina Sue, a lifelong entrepreneur and business growth advisor, as we explore topics such as marketing, sales, finance, leadership, and personal growth all tailored specifically to the needs of women entrepreneurs. So if you're ready to grow your business faster and smarter, then this podcast is for you. Thanks for tuning in and let's get started. Welcome back to another episode. Today, we have the famous Jennifer McCollum. She is CEO of Linkage, a Sherm company where she oversees the strategic direction and global operations of this leadership development firm. With a mission to change the face of leadership, Linkage has dedicated over 35 years to improving leadership effectiveness and equity in hundreds of organizations globally. Jennifer herself is a highly sought after consultant and speaker with a deep expertise in inclusive leadership and advancing women leaders. She's developed workshops, keynotes, webinars, podcasts such as ours to thousands of leaders globally and live, on stage, virtually, basically anything leadership, Jennifer is there. Um, Some of which are including like 100 Leaders Live, Conference Chief Learning Officer Exchange. The list goes on uh, from where she has shared her knowledge. She has a book coming up and should be uh, available by the time this podcast goes live. And it is called In Her Own Voice, A Woman's Rise to CEO. Basically, this leadership book serves as a must-have guide for women who aspire to advance in their careers and for the executives and allies who aspire to support them. In essence, it is for everyone listening today. So I'm excited to have her as our guest. Ladies, to another episode. I am super excited today about our guest because she is the spokeswoman for women in leadership. Jennifer McCollum is well-known face and name in all things women and leadership. Her new book, In Her Own Voice, A Woman's Rise to CEO, is flying off the shelves before it's even on the shelf. And she'll share a little bit about that today. But she has a full schedule of people begging for her expertise, and we are lucky enough to have her with us today. So welcome very much, Jennifer. Thank you, Tina. I have been looking forward to this for days. Wonderful. Well, I know that we have a lot to unpack today, women, leadership, all things. Um, Your new book, for one, that's super excited and um, about to be available. Well, it sort of is available. We'll talk about that. But one of the things I always love, and, and I know from your history here, is you had a very interesting rise of your own to leadership um, and, a, and a quite fascinating journey. Would you be willing to share how you became so well-known for women in leadership as you are today? I have been focused on helping women find their purpose, their passion, clarity around their life vision 
for about 20 years since I really started in the leadership space. I was doing pro bono sessions. Uh, we called them visioning workshops. And then visionista groups were you know, sprouting up across the country. Um, even before I was doing it formally um, at Linkage, which is where I am now. So I've always been interested in helping leaders and teams and organizations fulfill their potential. But there's been this really special uh, passion and purpose of mine to help women rise. So when I became the CEO of Linkage, and that is a leadership development firm with a mission to change the face of leadership, I was so excited that we had this incredible expertise in advancing women leaders. And so for the last five years, it's been not only my purpose and passion, but also our business to help the rise of women leaders at all levels in um, in any sector, in any geography. And that's really the focus of the book is how can we accelerate the rise of women leaders globally? I love that. So even before Linkage, what was your, for 20 years, what was, what was those first, that first decade like? So I was an entrepreneur. I, I left the Coca-Cola company. They helped me actually become a consultant in the leadership space. And then they summarily fired everybody in the group because a new CEO came on board and decided that they wanted to outsource that function. Mm-hmm. So I, I still had my job at the Coca-Cola company as a communications leader, but I really wanted to do the leadership work. And so Coca-Cola sent me on my way and said, if you start your own company, we will hire you. So I actually started as a consultant. I created a consulting company in my 30s when my first two kids were teeny tiny. I worked a flexible schedule and really Coca-Cola helped me build my expertise in the leadership space. From there, I spent about the next, uh, you know, right around the Great Recession, 2009, I spent the next decade or so running business units in publicly traded companies. And those business units were leadership Uh, professional services organizations designed to help the rise of leaders um, across the corporate world. And then I became the CEO of Linkage about five years ago. Awesome. So through that interesting career um, path, what was some of the biggest challenges that you are working with, with, um, with these leadership groups that you're consulting? Yeah. And if I mean, we could, we could talk about leadership or we could talk squarely about women leaders. I'm I'm guessing you want to talk about the latter. Yeah. Um, We do have different challenges as women, for sure. <laughs> well, and I think that's such a great place to, to start, Tina, because the work that Linkage does in the world does span beyond women leaders. So at its foundation, we are a leadership development firm. And when our mission is to change the face of leadership, it also is figurative to change our perspective on what the greatest leaders do and what the best leadership is. And what we know is that the, what it takes to be a good leader is agnostic across the spectrum of gender. But women face unique challenges on that path to leadership. So it's not about fixing women. Women are incredibly strong leaders. When we dig into our database, we actually know that women spike even more than men in most of the leadership behaviors and practices that we measure, um, especially the inclusive leadership behaviors, which are kind of the new expectations of leadership. So it's not about fixing the women. It's about helping women become aware and understand the unique path to leadership and the challenges that we face that are different from the leadership majority, which is still 70% or, or more uh, men and primarily white men. Mm-hmm. Yes, I love that. And that is right in line with our listeners and what we're trying to change here on Women Juicing Growth. So that's why we're super excited to have you with us today. 
So let's talk a little bit about, let's talk about your book, Flying Off the Shelf Already. I think you just told me before we started recording that you have a nice new stat on that. Thank you. I, I, look, I'm a first time author. So this is really special to get this book. It took us 18 months. It took me six months to write it, six months to edit it, and now six months to launch it. And it is available now on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your local bookstores, but uh, it launches formally on November 14th. And uh, we just found out that it is already a Amazon number one new release in the women in business category. And I think it's it reflects this pent up demand for for help. It's not it's not there are plenty of leadership books out there. There lack leadership books to support women and overcoming the challenges. And so the book is really positioned for any woman who aspires to advance in her career whatever that chosen career is, including stay at home, you know, uh, and it's also for any leader or executive who aspires to support them. And so we want to make sure that organizational leaders and executives, men and women, can more deeply understand the challenges that women face and importantly, how to help them overcome them. I love that. Well, I actually just came back from uh, facilitating a leadership all day event. And, you know, one of the biggest things I always say is, especially for those listening here, which are a lot of entrepreneurs or executive leaders, right? Like your company is only as good as the team because it's a people business if you have employees, right? So leadership is so strong. You can have so many great things going right, but it, it starts at the at the leadership level is what I believe. Um, yeah. Your book talks about um, some seven hurdles. I, I, I got the sneak peek of of your book. Can we talk a little bit about what those seven big hurdles are? There's probably more hurdles, but I think you have them boiled down to seven. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I mean, th these aren't hurdles that we've been pulled out of the sky. We've actually been doing this research for, for 25 years. And um, we've been doing it through uh, assessment data, like 360 reviews. We've been doing mm -hmm. it through perception data, like what, what a women, their perception of their organizations. And we've been doing it through a lot of experience with coaching and developing women um, across the last couple of decades. So. The, um, and I actually want to, and I will dive right into the hurdles, but you said something really important about executives. If you don't mind, I'm just going to say one thing about that. For sure. I always want to make sure that, you know, I've already said it, this isn't about fixing the women. This is about aw collective awareness, both from the women and from the organizations, but it's also about organizations developing alongside the women. And so we measure um, four really important levers and one, and you said it is executive commitment and executive action. So when women look up to their senior leaders, do they feel like they are truly committed to supporting their advancement? And are they demonstrating that? Um, the second one is what we call um, people processes and systems. And that's the talent systems. Do women feel like there is equity in those systems, whether it's the hiring process or the high potential selection process or the stretch assignments? Do they feel like they have an equal shot? And I talk to companies all the time where women say, look, a job opens up at a more senior level, and then a man is hired and placed, and I didn't even know the job was open. So that's an example of talent systems. Um, the third one is around culture. And this is such an important one for women. Do we feel like we belong? Do we feel like our unique contribution is valued? And so that, we call that the organizational surround. And then the fourth one is leadership development for women. And this is where the hurdles, and now I can now I'll transition to the hurdles, but where they slot right in. Because again, this is about 
women more deeply understanding the hurdles, the unique challenges that they will face. Um, early in your career, you don't really see them. Then through experience, over time, you overcome them. And our job is to accelerate that. And it's also for men as allies and sponsors and mentors to understand what women face uniquely and to help them and overcome them. So we can talk about that too. Love so it. hurts. You want to go into the hurdles? Let's go into the hurdles. Do you want to share those seven and then we and we can do a little yeah. description of each? Absolutely. So I'll do a brief description that will go deeper in a couple. So when we talk about the hurdles, there's this uber hurdle that is very difficult to measure. Um, and it's called the inner critic. And that's mm-hmm. the one, that's that voice in our head. Everybody has one, but the woman's inner critic tends to be a little bit harsher and a little bit louder and can prevent us from taking action. In fact, it exacerbates all of the other hurdles. So we'll do some storytelling about that. The other seven very quickly are internal bias. And these are the beliefs that we hold about ourselves that may no longer serve us. So for me, I had a belief before taking the CEO job at Linkage that I couldn't have a CEO job and be the kind of mother I wanted to be. And that Mm -hmm. internal bias almost prevented me from putting myself in the running of CEO. Uh, clarity is the is actually one of the, the hardest hurdles for women. And that is, if I ask you, what do you want with your career? Can you describe it to me with yourself in the picture? This isn't about what the organization wants or needs or your team or your family or your community. This is what do you want? Women have a harder time doing that. Proving your value is our tendency to say yes, put our head down, volunteer, and try and do more and more as opposed to inspiring others and delegating and being very choiceful about where we say yes. Um, a couple more. Recognize confidence is, is about how do we ensure that people see us in our competence. Women do not tend to self-promote as well as men, and sometimes they need to seek out um, other ways for people to shine light on their accomplishments. Uh, Branding and presence is how are you showing up and are you showing up in the way that you intend? And this is more more about authenticity. Are you showing up in the way that is truly authentic to you as opposed to assimilating into a culture that is either male dominated or a culture that where you can't be yourself? And then just the last two are making the ask. This is one of the three hardest one for women. And that is, are you asking for what you really want? versus that watered down version of what you think you deserve or what you think you can get. And then finally, networking. Networking is actually not difficult for women. We're fantastic at curating relationships. We're less good at activating those relationships and making sure that we're leveraging our network, making the ass of that network to help align to the clarity for where we want to go. Wow. How much time do you have today, Jennifer? (laughs) (laughs) I know. We prepped. We said we better go deep on just a couple. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, because even just I I, I know listeners can't see me, but I am shaking my head of uh, every one of those. I can put myself in a situation where one of those hurdles have you know affected my leadership abilities because and and so many people that I work with, which are mostly women, also I can think of yes, they're very very obvious once you think them through. Yeah. And actually that's the favorite part of my job is I'm on stages all the time, you know, and this is what the purpose of the book is too, to try and scale that, you know, beyond what I can do on a stage or what linkage can do with our, with our clients. How do we actually create access for, again, all women who seek to aspire and or who aspire to advance in their career and all executives and leaders who aspire to help them is how do we actually just create awareness faster 
And then why this book now is because things did change during COVID. And um, the last several years have really shown a light on the challenges that women face. So this book is about what has changed in terms of uh, women in the workforce. Number two, why is this a unique hurdle for women and why now? And number three is let's bring it to life through storytelling. So just like you said, I can see myself in those stories. And then mostly, you know, what are some things you can do immediately? It's very practical and actionable so that you can take steps. In fact, there's even a self-assessment in the book online that you can get access to just to help accelerate your own awareness and your own action. And I, I love the fact that you have this book and that you're on stage sharing this with as many people. And that's part of this podcast too, is like, how can we help as many women? And I think us just talking about it and bringing it out to the world to hear. It's like, you're not alone when you're feeling these things. And absolutely things changed in the last couple of years, for sure, for the better. And more of this is aware. So like, yes, I absolutely love this. And will be, I already told you, I will be listening to your book and buying the hardcover. <laughs> Thank you. And the listeners know that I am more of an audiobook, So I always love when there's a book uh, on audio for me. Are you an accomplished woman business owner with a story to tell? Do you crave a platform where you can share your journey, the good, the bad, and the ugly? Hey, everyone, it's Tina here. If you're fans of the show, then you know we are a show that celebrates the strengths and resilience of women entrepreneurs just like you. As we're getting this podcasting community going, I thought it would be fitting to an extended invitation to apply to join me as a guest on our Top 100 podcast platform. I started Women Choosing Growth because I believe that real growth happens when we come together and share our expertise and our experiences. We want to hear your inspiring stories, the challenges you face, and the lessons you've learned on your entrepreneur journey. Whether you've triumphed over adversity or faced setbacks head on, your story has the power to inspire and empower other women just like you. This platform is for you to showcase your achievements, highlight your expertise, and create meaningful connections within our community. So if you're a fearless woman business owner, unafraid to open up about your path to success, we want you on our show. Go to www.womenchoosinggrowth.com and join our community. From there, you'll be given the chance to fill out the short application. If you believe that you have a story to share, then why not? Once again, it's www.womenchoosinggrowth.com. I can't wait to feature more amazing and talented women in this community. Now, back to the show. So let's dive into some of these. The one that I probably was shaking my head most at was the clarity. Can we go a little bit deeper on clarity? I know, absolutely. So to tell the clarity story, I actually don't mind backing up to tell the inner critic story. And um, the, and I think you'll, you'll see yourself, I hope, in this as well. So, and the clarity was, was kind of my rise to the CEO of Linkage five years ago. So I was on a self-proclaimed sabbatical. I'll talk to you in a moment about how I gained that clarity in between jobs. And when the CEO, when the headhunter, you know, called me to see if I was interested in the CEO job at Linkage, my inner critic went crazy. And it, and it sounded like this, you're not ready for that big job. You've never managed a P&L all the way from the revenue line to the net income line. Um, you, uh, you can't be the kind of mom you want to be with a CEO job. And 
you need to be groomed first. So you can't be a CEO before you have CEO experience. I mean, all of these crazy things that were the inner critics spiking up. And really, I was questioning whether to throw my hat in the ring at all. And so that inner critic was so loud, it almost prevented me from taking action. And it took just, look, I have wonderful women in my network as well. In this case, it took two men in my network to sit me down and have kind of a mini intervention. And they said this, we were all peers at the publicly traded company that we just had left. If we think we're ready for the CEO job, why don't you think you're ready? If not now, when? And had they not done that, I think it would have prevented me from taking action on what has been the best job of my entire career. So now that's inner critic example. Let's fast forward. Will I just pause mm-hmm. for a second? Does that, does that resonate with you? It resonates. And you, you saw me laughing because you literally owned your own company. So you did do those things. Uh, you did manage a P&L. And how do you have experience in that next level if <laughs> like, that's, you know, I laugh with you because I, I know we say those things to ourselves, but it, totally. And you know what? The inner critic never dies. It happened two weeks ago as we were promoting the book that the story we told earlier to get us to the Amazon number one new release. I had many people in my network wanting to support me and, and buy the book. One comment was made in a text to my husband. He was helping me on this Saturday, try and really promote the book. And the comment said, your wife is out of control with her book promotion Imho, in my humble opinion. And that one comment out of the hundreds I was getting, like, you go girl, I buy two, I'm so proud of you, look what you've done. That one comment caused my inner critic to shoot right up. And it mm-hmm. sounded like this. Yeah, who do you think you are to write a book? You're not an author. You're an imposter. You've never done this before. And so that one comment, but you know what's different now is that I recognize it really quickly. I pause, you know, I, I bring myself, if I'm, if I'm like one down and beating myself up, I bring myself up to compassionate center. And then I get really curious, is this comment real? You know, and so that's our, that's our practice, right? Like, can we become aware of it faster? Can we be much kinder to ourselves? Can we pause when we find ourselves spiraling up or down? So inner critic is the foundational hurdle. You had asked about clarity. If, if you want, I can go into that next. Yes. Yes. Let's do it. And I happen, this is my favorite clarity story. I, I happen to take an eight month sabbatical in between jobs. You do not have to stop working to gain clarity. Clarity is an odd, clarity is an odd process. Choice. <laughs> so this was my choice. But, um, you know, in that time, I, I was a little bit lost because I had, I had been at publicly traded companies running professional services business units. And I had the Deloitte's and the Accenture's and the McKinsey's, the Corn Ferries. I could have easily gone to another publicly traded company and run another business unit. That would have been the most logical path for me. But my inner voice was saying, I I think there's something else for me and I just need to sit with it and I need to get clear. Don't jump until you're clear. And so in those eight months, again, you don't have to quit work to do this. All I did was made a commitment to myself to do one thing for my spirit, one thing for my body, and one thing for my job search. And it was this really magical time of meeting friends for coffee and taking long walks and just maybe one email or one phone call or one meeting a day as I started to explore what I wanted next. And it didn't take me more than 90 days 
to start realizing actually going to a publicly traded company at this phase in my career would not get me what I wanted. I wanted to be in the C-suite, if not the CEO, then at the C-suite table. I wanted to have much more um, control over setting a vision and a strategy and the resources to help achieve that strategy. I wanted to create the culture as opposed to deciding whether I wanted to fit within the culture. So as I got clear on those things, I moved away from publicly traded company options to, well, maybe it's a startup that I want. So I started exploring startup opportunities. But then I realized, no, I actually want to be at the C-suite. I need a platform, maybe up to $100 million. So I started to look at nonprofit. I started to look at academia, where I could um, you know, be in the exec ed space. And I started to look at private equity-backed firms. Tina, I didn't even know what the private equity model was. But within a few 30, 60 days, I had had my network had just, because I was clear about what I wanted, they would say, oh, like there's a private equity firm that specializes in that size, in that sector. I'm going to make the introduction. And within another 60 days, I had three job offers. So clarity provides that energy. And if you can share your vision, the universe conspires to help you get it. I love that story and the, the thoughtfulness that you gave yourself in the time to just say, before I jump, I'm going to figure this out. Yeah. And I find that like, look, we can go, all of us, you know, can go through life very reactively, especially because we're so busy. Um, And instead of keeping busy as the badge of honor to realize that busy prevents the window or the door opening. In my case, it was the best opportunity I could ever have in my career. And it was only because I stopped and I, and I committed to myself that I was going to gain crystal clarity on what I wanted. And people then could help me um, in a much easier way. I hate it when women come to me and this happens all the time and they're not happy in their job. And my first question is, I want to help you paint a picture for what you want to move toward. I don't care if it's a job title. It could be the environment, the culture, the sector, the skills you're using, the strengths you have. Tell me, paint the picture. And women will tend to say, I've never thought about it. I don't have time to think about it. What if I claim I want something and then don't get it? Wouldn't that be worse? No, it wouldn't be worse. (laughs) No, and the chances of that happening is slim because I believe in once you put it on paper, the things that you do and your mindset is geared towards those goals that you actually wrote down and told somebody. Yeah, I feel that, like you were in my conversation this morning. I literally just asked someone that this morning. I said, they're, they're in a career switch, same career, um, just different things going on within the bigger picture of the industry. And I said, well, what does it look like? Like you told me a lot of things. This is what I said. You told me a lot of things, but I'm still unclear on what do you, what does your role in your company look like in three years? And they said, Oh, I don't know either. Like, well, cool. We we just talked for an hour and a half and we got a lot of things mentioned, but not no clarity in even three years from now, which is a short period of time. Right. And I said the same thing. I want to see a visual. I want to see, I want you to paint that picture for me. Yeah. Because then we can work towards it. Yeah. And in the book, we have the visioning exercises and clarity statements and, you know, things to help get you started. Cause I actually think it's hard to do alone. And and what a gift you were to that person. Because really talking it through, and this is kind of the benefit of what I call my visionista groups, the benefit, gaining clarity is really helped when you're conversing with others. And whether it's exploring in a networking capacity or 
in, in, our, in my case, on my sabbatical, my Visionista group came together every single week. We were all exploring clarity on one aspect of our life. For me, it was career. For someone else, it was her marriage and relationship. Um, you know, for someone else, it was, you know, how do I bring more joy and fun into my life? So it doesn't matter what piece of your life you're working on. Clarity provides energy that helps you put it out into the universe so others can help you get it. And I, th- I like what you said just before that too, of the clarity, even when we might have a pretty clear vision of what we want, that other inner critic and some of these other hurdles automatically are like, oh yeah, you just painted a crazy picture, Tina. Like you're not good enough for that, or you're not ready for that. And all the other things that our brain can tell us. So even if we do have some idea of what that is that we want in our career or whatever the goal is, right? I feel like some of these other pieces totally play with our mind. Well, it's interesting. You, you didn't say this exactly, but, I, but I, it's, a, it's a great connection to where we want to go next, which is we intentionally introduce the hurdles in a specific order. Doesn't mean they have to be that way. But clarity is very early on because when you have clarity, then it's rec- then the, um, the piece around proving your value what do you actually say yes to? What do you delegate to others? What do you actually say no thank you? And for me personally, I had to say no thank you to, you know, as my kids were growing up, to a lot of the things that would be nice to have, you know, running the school fundraiser or being the PTA room mom. But I knew I couldn't give it my all. I knew other people could do it better. If I wrote a check and someone else could use their capabilities, that would allow me to do other things. But you have to be really choiceful about what you say yes and no to. And I think women, by and large, have a harder time because there's a perfectionist tendency. There's a let me prove to everybody what a great mom, a great spouse, a great leader, a great community member. We can't do all that. Mm-hmm. No, we can't. Not not well. Not at the same time, anyway. <laughs> we could do it at different. St- we could do it at different stages in life. And so clarity allows you. Like, whom do you network with? Whom do you make the ask to? So what clarity helps drive a lot of the overcoming the other hurdles. And I think I saw written um, in, in uh, is it in your book of the question to sort of ask yourself is, what do you want for your next chapter in, in your relationship, your career, your whatever that you're working on? Is that sort of the kind of question that one would ask themselves to say, do I, do I have clarity? Yeah. So there's a whole visioning exercise in the book that walks you through literally every aspect of your life. So um, again, I think it's wonderful to do with other women or even your partner um, because you're, you know, you have individual clarity and then there's collective clarity. What do I want with my family? What do I want with my team? And so the visioning can be extrapolated to any part of your life, or you can think about it, you know, in a much bigger macro, uh, macro environment. Absolutely love that. And when we're going to talk about recognized confidence next, right? But um, the fact that you said these run in order, I am looking at the order of those again, and it makes so much sense. So before we wrap up, I really want to slow that down. So when people understand recognized confidence, and then we'll share the order, it'll, um, it makes even more sense that you sort of work through these in order. Perfect. Well, do you want to talk about recognized confidence now? Let's do it. Mm-hmm. All right. So this one is one of my favorite ones because recognized confidence, we have really moved away. This is one that actually has changed a lot for us in the last couple of years, because we used to talk about it as, you know, how do we help women find their confidence or overcome the imposter syndrome? And I think while that was nice kind of back in the 90s and 2000s when, you know, women in leadership even started being discussed, um, I think it was actually, it's kind of set ourselves up for failure. Because the truth is, we can't turn confidence and imposter syndrome on and off. 
What we can do is ensure that, and this is why we call it recognized confidence. We can ensure that others see us in our competence. And over time, that will generate more internal trust and confidence in ourselves. And so I like thinking about this as um, how do we actually help women self-promote, right? So I have one of my direct reports, Kristen Howe. She's my chief product officer. I use her story because almost every week she'll send me an email. Just happened last week. Um, she was on a big stage and it went spectacularly well and she was getting good feedback. And so she flipped me an email and said, it's just so great to be here at this conference. I really feel like I'm making an impact. And then as I read down the email, I saw others really shining a light on her. Now, when it comes time for performance review and bonus, I have that now because she helped me see her excellence, right? Mm-hmm. Otherwise... I might not have known. So it's how do you find ways to appropriately self-promote? And if you don't feel comfortable, and a lot of women don't, can you actually ensure that others shine the light on you? And this is where allyship becomes important. Women helping women becomes really important. So, you know, if you notice that a a woman is, is saying something and it's being ignored or other people are getting the credit, you know, can you be an ally? Can we be an ally to each other and say, wait a minute, I want to stop for a second. Did you hear what Tina just said? That is an incredibly insightful comment. Like, I I don't want to move on until we stop, you know? So those are the types of little things that we can do for each other if you feel like you can't promote your own greatness. So again, there's there's sad things about confidence. We know from um, research that that girls tend to lose that confidence early on, kind of nine and 10, especially as they go into middle school. I saw that with my own daughter. If they regain their confidence, it doesn't tend to come back until 35. And so we are now really focused on how do we actually ensure that our competence is seen and is visible. And over time, that will result in us overcoming our imposter syndrome or in gaining that confidence as opposed to wishing it away. I do want to put you on the spot with that, but I believe that stat 100%. You know, junior high, middle school is horrible. Um, (laughs) And if I think about when I built, you know, even more confidence back up, going into business for the first time was like, what am I thinking? But and the only reason I got over that self-sabotaging hurdle was because my daughter who was being born was more important than my fears, thankfully. But I think it wasn't until years later that I started to build even more confidence. Do you, what is the stat on why? we have that challenge in middle school just sucks in general. So I get that. But what about, about, um, that's a long period of time. Yeah, it is. And and again, this is where like the, we haven't talked about this, but the, the very first, uh, after the intro, the very first chapter of the book is on external bias. And I think it's, you know, we can't change that. It's, it's, uh, well, we can change it over time, but it's, it's very difficult. And you think about whether it's it's getting better, but if you think about early forms of whether it was media or parenting or community or you know spiritual institutions, it was you know girls should be seen and not heard. Girls should be polite. You know don't don't stand out. And and so what I noticed with my daughter is is that she went from fifth grade, the star in the school play, to middle school where she didn't want to be seen. She didn't want to stand out. She didn't want to speak up. And there's a lot of research Then it goes all the way through um, college as well. There's a lot of research around when women do speak up, there is a backlash, right? And so there's what we haven't talked about the the double bind, but um, 
this is all of us. Uh, this has been proven through the, the Harvard implicit bias test. All of us see leaders, uh, the stereotype of leaders, as a very handsome, athletic white man. And we see women as kind of this soft, collaborative kind. And the challenge with being a woman leader is we carry the expectations and stereotype of both. We're supposed to be strong and competitive and tough, you know, like the stereotype we have of a leader of this kind of this white, handsome, athletic man. But we're also supposed to be soft and kind and collaborative, you know, like this very loving woman. And and people, people being the rest of the world, can't see us as both. It's either one or the other. And that's why you hear things like, I don't know if she's strong or tough enough to take on that role. Or I don't know, she's a little too aggressive or a little too ambitious. I don't think she'll be perceived well. And it's because, and by the way, like one of my favorite stories in the book is I was called in my 20s a cupcake with a razor blade inside. Oh. <laughs> and 27 years later, I can still see that image, but I didn't understand it at the time. That's the double bind. Now I had this sweet, soft, lovely exterior and this kind of biting, competitive, challenging interior, because I am a very competitive person and leader. Mm-hmm. But, it, but a man would never be described as a cupcake with a razor blade, right? It's No. <laughs> no. no. And was that, that was a, meant as a compliment to you when it was said? I, I don't. So my boss, who relayed the story because it wasn't told to me directly, was laughing hysterically. And he thought he, he was a, it was a point of pride for him. But I was kind of devastated. You know, who wants to be called a you know, cupcake with a razor blade? It's kind of biting center. So no, I don't think it was a compliment. <laughs> okay. That makes that, 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 that sums up of why we lose our confidence in those early career days for sure. Yeah. So that's, um, so that's recognized confidence. Um, were there any other hurdles you wanted to go deeper into? You know, one that, um, since we do have a little bit of time here, we just ha- have a different podcast on making the ask, but what about the networking? That one to me, when I was looking, um, through the, the, the summary of the book and the chapters, that one, uh, piqued my interest. So let's talk a little bit about the networking. Yeah, no, it's perfect. It's again, I think networking has really shifted a lot and COVID helped this as well, right? So networking has kind of moved beyond these very large, you know, overwhelming conference rooms where you're running around handing out business cards and and women by and large have always hated that. But but men have too, and, and certainly introverts have not done well with that. So networking used to be, and still is to some extent, you know, where where do people congregate? And with, you know, it's similarity bias. We all want to be around people who are like us, who have experiences like us, who look like us tended to be on the golf course or in the bars with a lot of men, white men specifically. And those were never comfortable spaces for women. They still aren't. And in most of my career, I've been one of the only in the room. I'm guessing that you might resonate with that as well. I do. <laughs> so, But I think COVID really gave us a little bit of a gift where networking became a lot more virtual. LinkedIn has helped with that as well. So it's not like women don't build very strong and deep relationships. Um, it's how do we actually receive from the network as much as we give to the network. So I'll often have women tell me, you know, well, I would, you know, ask for the contact or ask for the business or ask for the, even ask for the you know, reward, but I don't want to bother, you know, I don't want to bother them. And I, and I'll always say, well, interesting, like, let's just turn the tables for a moment. If that very same person came to you and asked you to do that, would you do it? Oh, absolutely. I would do. So there's this almost, you know, why, why do we expect that we can't activate what I call activating our network, but we're willing 
to leverage our you know, power, influence, contacts for others. And so my favorite story here is um, Alan Mulally, who is the former CEO of Boeing and Ford. I met him at a conference in 2020. Um, he's retired now, but he's one of the greatest leaders of this century. And he transformed both of those organizations. And I saw him speak in uh, January of 2020, just before the whole world shut down. And I was a new CEO. I was not even 18 months into my linkage tenure. And it was going well, but not well enough. I wanted to make it, you know, make an impact on the business faster. And I watched him talk about the principles and practices he used when running those two American icons. And my first, in, my inner critic again was spiked and said, well, Alan Mulally's on the board of Google and the Mayo Clinic, and he's been the CEO of multi-billion dollar companies. Why would he help me? But I knew I wanted him a part of my network because I thought he could help me be a better CEO. So this is where making the ask and networking comes together. Um, I was in um, I was in San Diego at a Hyatt, and because I'm on the East Coast and this was on the West Coast, I was getting up at kind of four and five in the morning because I couldn't sleep. So I went to the gym. I was reading all these articles about Alan Mulally and how he led. And I kind of stumbled in all sweaty in my gym clothes to the, you know, like the 23rd floor of the Hyatt where they have the bad continental breakfast for the club members, right? So I stumble in and I look up and Alan is standing at the toaster by himself. And it was one of those moments, like inner critic, like I look horrible. I'm not ready. I don't have my notes. I don't have the perfect thing to say. And, um, and I thought, you know what? I'm never going to have this chance again. And so I literally approached Alan and asked him if he could, would become a contributor to my CEO advisory circle. And this is why, and I had been doing all of this reading and I believe that he could help the company. And I'm not sure how else to find the information about how he did it at Foreign Boeing, but would he consider helping me? And that conversation, I just got an email from him yesterday. His stories are peppered in the book. He has become one of the greatest mentors of my life because I invited him to be a part of my network. Love it. And the uncomfortableness of that moment and the vulnerability and the your inner critic was sky high, I'm sure, <laughs> as I'm putting myself in that same situation, I would have been nervous <laughs> beyond words. So congrats to you for doing it. Thank you. Thank you. And that's where networking and making the ask are the last two hurdles. And they, they really, you know, they, they link together so nicely. And look, what I have found about making the ask is, you know, if you feel like you don't deserve it or you can't get everything you want or you can do a couple things. Like One is do your research, gather the data, talk to your advisors, get a sense of. And this happened all the time to me. I had a COO or I have a COO who had been uh, with Linkage for 20 years. He'd been through three different private equity sales and he was whispering in my ear all the time. You know, Jennifer, you can ask for more. And now is the time to ask the board for the evolution of our sales bonus as we go to market. And now is the time in the divestiture to ask for the capital raise. So, you know, I wasn't comfortable or confident making as many asks as I have over the last five years. But here's what I've learned. If you don't make the ask, uh, you may be told no. But if you don't make it, there's a pretty high likelihood that you aren't going to get any of what you want. <laughs> A famous quote. I actually raised my children on that mentality. <laughs> You're and a good mom. <laughs> yes, it, it was. It was like, you can always ask. And if you don't ask, you won't get. That was what I said. If you don't ask, you don't get. That's right. And again, like we, we have trained women all the time. We have a whole course on how do you actually negotiate effectively for yourself, for your team, for your company. But I do find that, that men do, they just, they, they do it much more 
thought, thought, you know, casually, thoughtlessly, impetuously, and they don't apologize for it. You know, it's like, look, if you're not comfortable making the ask, do a little bit of, do, do some homework, make sure that it's the right environment. Uh, make sure you've got your business case, make sure you've gathered your data. But then, and we have some tools in the book of how to do that, but then you got to go. And if you're told no, men will tend to go back multiple times. Women will tend to retreat and not go back at all. And that's why there's salary inequity in this country and in the world. But the salary inequity is so significant that by the time a, a white woman gets to her 50s, she has lost on average a half a million dollars over a man in the same role. For Black women, it's closer to $800,000. And for, for Latin Latina women, it's $1.2 million. Yeah, that's huge. Huge gaps. Yeah. On the on the no too, women tend to be like, okay, because we're already not as confident to right. ask, thinking in our head that we're probably going to get a no. So when we get a no, we're like, all right, well, thanks for listening to me anyway and walk away. Whereas the question to ask is, it's really a no right now. What would I need to change in this proposal or this thought that I'm asking for in order for it to be a yes? And then go work on that gap. I love that, um, that tactic. I mean, there is some hard research that when women do come back, you know, oftentimes there is backlash. And again, that fuels this perception of, oh, they're so aggressive. But again, I think it's the razor it's, blade. It's the razor blade, but I think it's up to all of us. And again, this is where I think women helping women, men as allies and mentors become is really important because we need to support each other. I'll tell you one more story. Uh, I was giving a, a keynote a couple of weeks ago and a, a head of talent acquisition at a, one of our client companies raised her hand and said, you know, when I offer the same job and, you know, it's, it's a role that I hire people all the time. She's like, every single time the men will negotiate more powerfully for themselves than the women. And that's leading to, you know, them starting lower and then they never catch up. And I said, well, you know, what do you think your role is and the role of the organization is to help women understand that they can ask for more because they don't know, right? So this is where it's, it's a system. It can't just be up to us to figure out how to ask for, like, I still worry that I don't, as a CEO, I'm still not negotiating as well as a male CEO in a similar size private equity backed company, you know? So I don't know, but I do a lot of work to try and figure it out because I don't want to leave it on the table. <laughs> yes. Yes. And that's just, that, that's a whole nother conversation, right? And the HR lady who was the guest on our podcast is probably just burning right now because honestly, in a role, it should be clear for these duties and these experiences, it should be X number of dollars per year with whatever bonus, regardless of what you negotiated. Yeah. And you know, this is off, this is off topic for the book, but things like salary transparency, you know, I, I actually like that because, you know, there's a, just competing research. Some research says it levels the playing field for, Mm -hmm. you know, gender, race, other underrepresented populations. Some people say, but it actually creates a lower salary for everybody. So again, these things are kind of emerging, you know, really important um, spaces that we need to look at to accelerate equity across not only gender, but across everybody, everybody, race, ethnicity, LGBTQ, disability. Um, And the most progressive companies are doing that um, in earnest. And that's why we measure the talent systems, the equity in the talent systems. Sorry, we're off topic now. <laughs> yeah, like I said, we could talk. We could talk for days on, on some of these things. Um, Jennifer, you have shared so much today. I wish we could have taken the time to go into all of them even deeper, but that's you, they can do that if they grab your book, right? <laughs> I hope so. Yes, you can buy it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, local bookstores, and it's if you just Google um, "In Her Own Voice: A Woman's Rise to CEO" by Jennifer McCullum, it will pop right up. We also have a microsite off of 
Um, the company who acquired us is SHRM, the Society for Human Resource Management. It's shrm.org backslash in her own voice. I love that. And can you run through those um, those hurdles again in the order? Because I think as listeners are putting them in their head of, not that, like you said, you don't have to work through them in that order, but it makes sense to kind of flow. Sure. So again, the foundational Uber hurdle is the inner critic, followed by internal bias. What are those beliefs that may not support me? Clarity. What do I really want? Recognized confidence. So how do you, how do you ensure that your confidence is seen uh, by others? Branding and presence. How am I showing up? And is it authentically the way I want to be perceived? Making the ask for what I really want, not that watered down version. And am I creating the network, but more importantly, activating the network aligned to my clarity about what I really want. I love it. I love it. I can't wait to have your audiobook in my ears as I walk in the morning. Um, and so I can go even deeper on this. I appreciate everything you shared here today. What are your final words to our women who are listening and probably nodding their head as much as I did during this episode? So my final words are actually, it's the best part about being um, a leader at any level, an entrepreneur, is that our evolution as, as a woman, as a leader, it's just never finished. And that's why I love catching myself in my inner critic, even now, 30 years into my career, saying, oh, wait a minute, there I go again. And so I would say, continue that depth of self-awareness and surround yourself by people who will support you and who will lift you up because I know you're doing that for others. Amen to that. I love it. Again, I appreciate so much for you sharing uh, and we'll maybe have you on in a couple months so you can tell us even more about your next adventure. (laughs) Thank you so much, Tina. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please be sure to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. The Woman Choosing Growth Show is not just another podcast. It's a tribe of women helping each other grow. So please share this podcast with all the women entrepreneurs that you would love to see succeed. If you'd like to know more about customized business advising through Cultivate Advisors, download business tools, or sign up for upcoming events, visit www.womenchoosinggrowth.com. Once again, that's www.womenchoosinggrowth.com. Remember, we are in this together. See you on the next one.